Don't miss Team Swayze on Monday, March 13th at Milestone Tavern on Foothill and Slope at 5.30 for our first ever live podcast event. Food, drinks, and your questions about buying a home or selling a home in Slow County. Email hal at teamswayze.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com to reserve your spot. From April 15th forward, the value of solar exports reduces by 75%, which is creating a frenzy of everyone trying to get their solar system installed. All you've got to do is get it approved before April 15th, and then you have three years to complete the construction of the solar system. But you do have to have it approved through PG&E's net metering portal before April 15th, and you're good to go. Undoubtedly, you've heard terms like net metering, NEM 2.0, and NEM 3.0 a lot in the news and commercials you've been seeing and hearing. The state of California is changing the benefits to those switching over to renewable energy. What does this mean for you and for the real estate you own and the potential real estate you may be in the market for? In this episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze, the team talks with Nick Hoover from Slowcraft Inc. about the benefits to solar from a cost efficiency perspective and why it is important to get your paperwork in before April 15th. If you've been on the fence about solar, you have to listen to this episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze. Here's your host, James Bueno. Gentlemen, we're back. We're ready to go. The four musketeers are here today. Mr. Hal, Mr. JT, and Mr. Pete, how are you guys doing? Great. Awesome. That's excellent. That, wow. Sounds, you guys are a little bit slow today. In harmony. Well, I thought we were all going to do oh, it. Oh, oh, oh. It was, it was supposed yeah. to be harmonious. We, yeah, we need to practice that a little bit better next time. It's still so. weather. It's kind of overcast. We're it, used to sun. Holy smoke. It's cold. <laughs> I'm really interested in what's going to happen in, in this podcast. Solar power is a big deal. Solar right. energy for us and, and the real estate market. And there's some changes coming down the pike. So we brought in a, a local expert, Nick Hoover from Slowcraft. So Nick gets the yeah. round of applause yeah, right. that we normally give for everybody yeah. like gets here. Yeah. One of two, only one of two so far. To get <laughs> Mr. Nick, how are you, sir? Very good. Tell us about your life, Nick. Let us know. <laughs> Not that yeah. yeah. I'll try and keep it short. Yeah, we're a C10 licensed and, and B licensed, which means electrical contractor and general contractor in the state of California. We primarily do renewable energy systems, so solar power, uh, a little bit of generators if it ties into a solar system usually, and then energy storage systems. Um, an interesting fact about us is that all of our all of our employees are actually career firefighters. I'm a career captain in the city of San Luis Obispo at the fire department. Interesting. And we started doing this a long time ago, uh, kind of as an alternative thing to do than other than working in emergency services and have a, a different kind of daily outlook. And it's really, really been enjoyable. Is there a reason why? Like what drew you guys to that to solar? We started off doing just remodels. A lot of firefighters have a, an alternative career on the side as, as contractors. And so that's what we used to do. And then we built a house that needed a solar system for uh, Title 24 requirements, which is a, a California energy requirement for building construction. Started doing a couple more of them. And then from there, I don't know, we're probably in the three to 400 or 500 completed project range now. So our lights are on because of Nick. So we, <laughs> he put a system there, on he, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You said something about alternative energy. So storage system, what does that mean? What, yeah, energy storage doing? systems or batteries. You know, right. a lot of people, when they hear that thing, Tesla Powerwall, that was a really common product name and it's a great product. Um, and then there's also many other manufacturers that make battery storage systems as well. So depending on where you live, resiliency might be an important thing to you, meaning if the power goes out, having a storage system that's going to carry you through an outage, or it could be important to you to, from an environment 
environmental uh, perspective to keep your energy that you produce at your site and discharge it from your own battery systems. Up and coming on April 15th, which I'm sure we'll dive into here a little bit more, is that energy storage systems are going to be a very important part of the next PG&E um, and really Southern California Edison, all the major electric utilities, the next iteration of electricity tariffs. So right. how, how the rate structure works from a real estate perspective, um, you know, we, we deal with residential systems. And one of the things that comes up is what's the value? And, and there's certain things that create value and some that don't. So I was just talking to one of our longtime appraisers, Mark Adams here has been around forever. And I go, Mark, hey, how do you value uh, solar systems? Because some of the lease systems and finance systems are um, in our minds, almost a liability, you know, depending on what you have to do to get them and so forth. And and he was saying the banks, uh, when they make loans on property, they do not give any value to a leased or finance system, I, I believe. And if I'm confusing him, please correct me, Nick. And then if you have an own system, and again, they're bigger, some are more expensive, some houses need them more, but, you know, they give it like fifteen to $20,000 in value. You know, I know I have one in my house and you know, it'll take a while to, for it to pay off, but it's nice to have and it works well. So are there options now for that? You, you'd mentioned that to, to purchase rather than just flat out write a check, right? So what, what, what's happening in that realm for our listeners? Yeah, there's uh, uh, several different loan products that are out there. There's major solar only lenders. We use one of them called Mosaic and, and they're a California based company that does just solar lending. Um, the rates used to be very, very attractive. They're a little bit more challenging now, not unlike anything with mortgages, but those are actual true loan products that are transferable upon sale to, to whomever the purchaser is they're not a lease product and the lease product is the is the challenge when it comes to real estate so there's that there's also a loan product called a pace loan which is an alternative energy loan that you can get and it's through a county partnership or, or whatever particular area that you're working with and that goes through your property taxes that's another loan option and then some of the credit unions like Cesslock has a sustainability loan. Those are all good products that are that are workable in the real estate realm. It's the leases that are the challenging ones. And those leases are called a power purchase agreement. They own the solar panels. They own the infrastructure. You don't own it. And they sell you power at a cheaper rate than you were purchasing it from the utility. And then you have a lease rate you know, or lease term of however many years after that. Where those ones get tricky is that's when when you have a sale, you've got to get that off the roof and find a way. And a lot of times there's there's no way to get out of it unless you buy out the lease term. So those are not as attractive in the re uh, residential market and from a real estate perspective. And they're also not as common anymore. They were very common probably five years ago, and now it's going more to the loan loan structure. So if somebody's looking to just kind of get into a system, and it's, I know everyone's different, but let's say somebody's got a 2,000 square foot house in the city of San Luis Obispo. How much coverage do you get? Like how many square feet do you have? And a range of a cost for a new install like that. Can you give someone a range? Let's say it's a 4,000 square foot house, right? And you've right. got all LED lighting and you have a gas furnace, you have a gas dryer, gas uh, stove, and you don't have any major electricity consuming appliances like an electric vehicle or a hot tub or anything like that. Your power bill might only be $100 a month, whereas your neighbor who's got the two bedroom, one bath house has an electric vehicle, has a heat pump because heat pump incentives are available now through uh, through the state programs, has a heat pump, water heater, all these different electric appliances. Their bill could be 1,000 bucks a month. Well, I will say this, if you had an all gas house for with all gas appliances, no electric vehicle, no hot tub or anything, you'd probably be in like maybe the eight to 10 panel range, something like that. Okay. And at a ballpark cost of, of before the tax credit, which every solar system is uh, available in the 30% federal tax credit, meaning you're gonna get a 30% tax credit back in your taxes, not a write-off, but a formal credit. Um, you'd probably be in the range of maybe 16,000 bucks or something like that before the tax credit, but that's very general. 
Okay. And, and, and that's a, that's a system for a low electrical user. Right. And that's what determines that. So the panels determine the cost. Exactly. And so okay. the wattage really determines the cost. Wattage. So each panel has a watt rating and we do it based off of the watts. And so the watts are determined based off of how much electricity you consume each month. And we get that from your utility bills. One panel, same size can have different wattages. Yeah. That's oh. the thing is every year comes out, the technology gets better and better. So the same footprint that a year ago might've been 350 watts. Today's model is 375 within the existing exact same same footprint right so that continues to innovate and sometimes that can cause some analysis paralysis for people that are going like man i should really wait till the wattage increases better technology but the way i like to look at it is you're freezing your utility costs at the moment that you purchase a solar system if you calculate it correctly and you don't increase your consumption by a considerable amount that moment forward you should not use any electricity from the grid as the technology gets better are they going to get smaller smaller because i know there's some people that live in cayucas that would never put solar on the roof because it looks ugly the aesthetics come into a lot of these uh, during the planning stage and people have legitimate concerns what i try to remind them of is how often do you really look at your roof because there's a lot of unattractive things on your roof to begin with that's right JT. Dense everything else. <laughs> and it also depends on the roofing material, which we attach to every roofing material that's out there. But for instance, this building has a normal comp roof and asphalt comp roof. But if you had a standing seam metal roof, for example, we use a different product to attach to that. That's actually the most optimal solar roof that there is because we don't have to penetrate or screw into the roof. We grab the metal seams with a clamp and that's it. Um, but solar panels are all black now. They used to not be. They used to have like the ones that are on this building because it's a commercial building or an aluminum mill frame on the outside, which you can't really see it anyhow because it's so high up there. But on a residence where you could, or if the roof pitch was more severe, where it was really obvious, those we use a black module. It's all black. The, the face of it's black, the trim of it's black, and then the attachment material is also all black. And we put a metal skirt on it that goes down almost to the roof deck to hide any of the wiring that's underneath. So the aesthetic part of it's improved a lot. So, so like gas prices, have got, natural gas, right? To like heating, you know, like doubled. Yeah, or more. Yeah, or like, yeah, it's expensive. So, so how, how does that affect what you guys are doing? Or is that going to make any difference for you, do you think? Or? Yeah, so PG&E, for instance, doesn't charge you. They don't make a profit off the electricity generation. They just resell power to you. So be it that they're purchasing it from their own power plants or whomever they're purchasing it from. Um, so that is expected to go up in the next two years by 36%. They just submitted an application for that. And there's probably a lot more details that are going to come out, and that's not a, a final stamp on that. That goes through the California Public Utilities Commission, who sets the standard. But the point on that is, is that electricity costs are usually in tandem with gas prices rising because of the generation for a lot of our country is based off of natural gas power plants. So there's a big date coming up. April 15th, kind of coincidental that it's also tax day. Another fun. Uh, oh, so fun it's not because of tax day. No, no, it's, it's just, it's just a, the timing. Okay. So April 15th is a transition from net metering 2.0 to net metering 3.0. And what that means to the, the layperson that's looking into purchasing solar is solar is looked at over a 12 month period called a true up period. During that 12 month period, you export electricity to the grid. For instance, when you're at work and you're not at home, your solar system's cranking away because it's the middle of the day and the sun's out. Most of that electricity is going to get exported to the grid. So PG&E, you can think of it like a bank. PG&E is going to count the amount of electricity that you're exporting to the grid. So that electricity that you're putting into the grid, you're getting credits for. Now you come home at nighttime, maybe you do have an electric vehicle, whatever it is that you're consuming, your hot tub, um, whatever it may be, you're going to now withdraw from the PG&E bank from those credits that you put in during the day. And over that 12-month period at the end of it, hopefully you've at least created as much electricity as you've used. If you've created more than you've used, you have an offset uh, uh, from the $10 a month minimum grid connection fee that PG&E charges. But other than that, there's no real advantage to producing more electricity than you use. That's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create the amount that you use.
Right now, the amount that you export, you get a one-to-one -one credit for. On April 15th, that's gonna reduce by 75%. So for every kilowatt that you export during the day, you're only gonna be able to import it back for 0.25 the value of. So essentially, you'd have to create four kilowatts to get one back, kilowatt hours. And that's happening after April 15th. And what that's going to do is incentivize people from the state's perspective to install energy storage systems because you would store your own electricity. It would never go through the meter. PG&E will never see it because they'll just use it at your own property. And that's to try and stabilize the grid. So from April 15th forward, the value of solar exports reduces by 75%, which is creating a frenzy of everyone trying to get their solar system installed and before April 15th, which is not accurate. All you've got to do is get it approved before April 15th, and then you have three years to complete the construction of the solar system. But you do have to have it approved through PG&E's um, net metering portal before April 15th, and you're good to go. And you'll keep the one-to-one. -one. Correct. Gotcha. Once you're into that tariff, you get approved for a 20-year grandfathering period. So that stays the same for 20 years. Let's say I'm, I'm, I'm currently in a, in, my, in a house that I... I but I plan on moving. I'll be moving within the next year or two years. Can I apply for this grandfathering opportunity into a house that I plan on purchasing like in the future? Because I'm like, I don't know address. I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up. Yeah, unfortunately, no, that's that's not a possibility. Wow. So it's based off of the location that that the application is submitted for. So so I guess from a, from a real estate standpoint, if I'm looking at if, I, if I'm on the fence, like, well, should I buy my forever home or buy the house I want to spend all this additional time and energy on? Or is it time to upgrade and go some to do something else? Should I make that decision now or later? If solar is going to have this much of an impact on my monthly living expenses and my way of life? Uh, geez, I'd, I'd say jump off, the, get off the fence and call your realtor, get into at least know that get into the house you want now so you can get application because we're talking April, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I want to buy by June. I want to buy my forever home. But, you know, maybe I maybe I accelerate that for this opportunity. It could be a factor. Yeah. What is the unique process? 30, 20 years down the road. How much money will I have saved? And what does that look like for, um, you know, for a property that I purchased? I don't know. Just a thought. So, so I'm under 2.0. I've mm -hmm. got a system in my house and I sell my house tomorrow in June. Is that transferable to the next person or does it stay with the person? It is yeah. transferable. So it's based off the equipment and it's based off the grandfathering period. So, so from person to person, but it stays with the property. Stays with the equipment at the property. Yeah. Okay. So I lose it if I if okay. you move. Yeah. My case, for example, I just bought a house and I'm remodeling it. I'm already submitting my application right now, even though my remodel plans aren't complete. I'm getting that locked right. before April fifteenth. Well, you, you know what I'm doing after this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> where do I get the application? Nick, yeah. come on over. Uh huh. <laughs> so so where do you get the? How do you do it? And the application yeah. is submitted by your contractor or developer, whomever's doing it. So whomever you select to be your solar contractor, which hopefully it's us. Uh, you, you, uh, Hello, Jay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you, uh, you submit that through your contractor, and then once the application is deemed complete, as long as there aren't any missing elements to it, then that locks in the three-year construction timeline window, as long as that's submitted before April 15th. You don't have to have the building permit already approved. You don't have to have any of the uh, granular level detail. It just has to be a completely submitted application. And the application is submitted by your contractor. It's very simple. It's, it's something we do every day. If I say, hey, I want to put a system on this property, how long? Yeah, the complete application, um, as, as long as it's submitted complete, you're good to go. Does it take you a week or them a week or anything? Oh, once we lock a contract from us, you can take us anywhere between two or three weeks. We're trying to have everybody done by April 1st. That way right. Okay. Two weeks That's something to go wrong. Got it. I've been told I didn't, I just found this out recently. So if they get, how often do you like have to maintain them or clean them or whatever? How, what, what it can really like? depend on the, the pitch of the roof. So for instance, if it was a flat roof, for example, it's going to have a lot harder of a time cleaning itself off than a high pitch roof does. But what I tell people is often as you have somebody clean your windows, 
windows or you look at your windows that yeah. look at your solar panels also. And depending on what manufacturer you're using. So for in your case at your, your office, your in phase, we can monitor those individually per panel and see what the production was this year versus last year at the exact same time. And if we look and see that the production has dropped considerably in similar weather, then it's probably a good chance that there's some soil up there that needs to get cleaned off. Oh, does the system, is there, can, do I have to look into that or will it notify me automatically? He's, he's asking if there's like a windshield wiper system you can just yeah, throw no, up there no, and no, automatically. Asking, yeah, um, can you tell me when it's, it's dirty? Yeah. <laughs> Great feature request. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So no. We'll, we'll pass that up the chain. Big yeah. giant squeegee. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's a win who is there a specific guy like window who do you get to clean your panel I mean like uh, we're getting a lot of rain so I would that say, helps yeah. right almost every window washer I've met also cleans solar panels that's not, yeah. that's not something you do no we don't yeah. provide that service unfortunately but yeah, yeah there, plenty of the window washers are are dialed in at that mm. and, and if you have a lot of rain I got to imagine that. Is, is, it does to a degree, and it also depends on where you live. So if you think about it, solar is based off of the azimuth or the aspect of the roof. So we want to be in a south-facing aspect for, for sun exposure on the northern hemisphere, right? So if you're in Los Osos, as an example, a place that has quite a bit of fog and you don't get as much sunlight, there's also a chance that you could get some, some you know, like algae, that kind of growth on the panels oh. themselves. So it just really depends. But I tell people, try to look at them about every six months. And if you see some dirt up there, they're really simple to clean. They're glass, just like anything else. The only thing you don't want to do is on a blazing hot day, shoot some cold water up there with a, with a hose. That wouldn't be the right call. Yeah. But in the morning they're, they're time glass. before, yeah, while it's still cool, that's in just simple water. Just wa just put a hose of water on it? That's yep, and then scrub them. Yep, and that's it. a little it. squeegee deal? Yep, exactly yeah. like you would with your windows. Oh, well, We've talked a lot about uh, roof application. Can you put the solar panels on anything else? Pergolas? Um, yeah, we, we do a considerable amount of ground mounts. That's kind of our specialty. So ground mount solar is usually better um, for larger installations where somebody's got a lot of volume, there's not enough roof space, or in the case of where your house may be under tree cover, but you've got some area on your property that's not where we can get them into the, into the sun. So that's one option. Pergolas and those kind of things could be an option, but you have to have a permitted structure and the structure has to either have met the building code or it has to be engineered. So that we're, that's kind of where we can get a little bit of trouble sometimes, like with a backyard pergola that somebody might have made themselves. Uh, we can't necessarily attach to that unless it's been totally evaluated. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine that has four or five acres in an undisclosed location where they put one of those, you know, they've got the steel posts and mm -hmm. it's like at a 45 degree angle. Right. So then they just frame the other side. They frame, now they've got a barn. Right. So they built a barn around the solar thing, right? Yeah. Cool. And the permit probably was for the solar structure itself. <laughs> Whatever else happened, I, I didn't know about I didn't. I'm sure they went through and got everything that was needed for the rest of it. Yeah. But yeah, and that's, that's an important part of the discussion is the permitting process. So the permitting process, depending on who the AHJ or authority having jurisdiction is, be it the county, be it the city, whomever it is, there's a full plan review process with solar, not unlike remodeling your house and you know, or doing an addition. It's not a simple process. The county for very simple microinverter systems is an instant over-the-counter e-permit um, that's that's one nice feature that they've got. And the city of San Luis Obispo also features that through what's called solar app for simpler systems. But for more complicated ones, there's a full plan review process that goes on. But going back to the April 15th discussion, that does not have to be completed before that. The difference between 2.0 and 3.0 mm -hmm. is that we're talking about the net metering is 3.0 in order for it to be efficient for you in order for it to make sense you're going to have added cost in the ways of these batteries yeah there's, there's two ways to do it either you got to put a battery in to store your electricity or you'd have to put in enough solar to produce the same amount that you would have before so what takes me to produce one kilowatt hour today is only going to produce 0.25 kilowatt hours again only at nighttime or when you're in excess of your solar systems usage so i'd have to put you know, uh, three times or four times the panels up there to produce right. the same amount of light. So if I have, just for sake of easy math, sure, I have 10 panels right now. What's producing in 10 panels right now? 
I would need 40 panels in order for it to, or have a battery to where you're going to pull off the battery and not need to use any of the grid power at all. So from a cost perspective, the cost uh, for a consumer from NEM 2.0 to NEM 3.0. Heavily dependent upon your use of electricity <laughs> and at what times. But I'll say this, it will most likely be more advantageous to do it with so a storage because you'll also get the resiliency factor out of it. When your power goes out, you're going to have backup power. With all the different microclimates in our county, does Paso Robles produce more, a system in Paso produce more electricity than a system in Morro Bay? So solar panels don't work better when it's extremely hot. They actually have a reduction in efficiency. So there's a sweet spot, and that's one of the calculations that we have to do when we submit your plans is there's a temperature coefficient, a bunch of stuff, and essentially we have to make sure that it's going to be compatible depending on the record high temperature and the record low temperature, um, which you know nobody probably would have ever thought with a solar panel that that would matter. And what we really focus on is the length of the day. That's the biggest deal. So in the summertime, obviously, the length of sunlight exposure is much longer than in the wintertime. Also, the angle of the sun in the winter is leaned down considerably more than in the summertime. It's directly overhead. So what that affects is, more so than the placement discussion, is the pitch of the roof and the azimuth, which direction it faces. And that's why ground mount systems for larger installations make so much more sense because we control that. You know, you know when you're flying into Vegas, you look down, you see those that big giant solar panel, and they all shoot the sun to that one. Like, Have you seen that before? Yeah, that's it's a newer technology. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, nothing like that in the residential sector yet. And a lot of people ask about wind, too, in the residential sector. Hey, can I get a wind turbine up there? There's a couple of them that are kind of off to 27. That's another thing that's not as effective in the residential market because wind is so erratic around houses. Houses is not a consistent direction. For people that are listening, just I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. Do the best you can. 1500 square foot house G give me three prices low medium and then just extravagant like what's it going to cost me three two 1500 square feet what's, all what's electric car all electric everything you watch no, just, all day just, long just well, give me stand right? oh that's yeah that would be high end. that would be high end yeah so high end two electric vehicles a hot tub and a pool and, oh, it, boy. and you want yeah. something else at, do, do nem2 and nem3 price oh yeah boy. yeah they, we're testing your math skills today let's get it <laughs> well the way I'll, solar I'm down you yeah the way solar pricing really works um, and this is a good point when you're reviewing a proposal, because in anything that involves contracting and any kind of home improvement that you ever do, you better get three proposals and compare them. If you don't, you're not doing your due diligence, right? That should happen with anybody. Um, when you get that proposal, what you want to look for, solar is all done by cost per watt. That's the way to evaluate one versus another. If I sell you what we sell right now, which is a Canadian solar 390 watt solar panel for a residential application, there's a million different manufacturers out there. So let's say I'm selling you that, and then somebody else is selling you a, a Q-Cells panel, and that one's 405 watts. So there's a 15-watt difference between the two. To compare this effectively, all you do is get the, the net system size when they're going to give that to you on the proposal. Let's say it's 5 kilowatts, so 5,000 watts. And if I propose to you a system that's 4,500 watts, 4.5 kilowatts, you divide the cost by the wattage, and that gives you the cost per watt. So on a residential application, you should be somewhere probably between about $3 and $4 a watt, somewhere around there. As net metering 3.0 is, is coming along, I'm guaranteeing that price is going to start increasing just from a supply and demand perspective. There's not enough time to, I can't complete all the proposal requests I get every day right now. We're having to sit here and carve out a lot more time than we used to. The other key part to that kind of evaluation is what the hardware is that they're selling you. And the reason that that matters is all this stuff has different warranties. So that should come into your, your mental decision as you're kind of looking at this stuff. When we talk about that $3 to $4 range per watt in the application of a, a three bedroom house at 1500 square feet, you know, if you didn't have anything crazy, no electric car, anything like that, maybe you probably get away with something like a, a three kilowatt or four kilowatt system. So you're probably looking at around 12,000 to 16,000 before the federal tax credit. The federal tax credit is 30% so you subtract that 30% off of that price. 
that would get you close. But as soon as you throw that electric vehicle into the calculation, let's talk about that real quick. So if you buy a Tesla, we expect that a Tesla is going to get somewhere around three miles per kilowatt hour. So if you drive your Tesla 9,000 miles a year, that means you just added 3,000 kilowatt hours to your electricity bill per year. That house you were describing where I said, hey, somewhere around 12,000 to 16,000, that house probably consumes 4,000 kilowatt hours a year. So we just doubled almost your electricity usage, if that makes sense. What we can run into with the trouble is when you said, hey, I want to have two EVs and I got a hot tub, you may not have enough roof space on that house that's that small. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the decision making also. Can you add a battery to a system later? And can you add multiple batteries after you have a first one? You can add a battery and it keeps you in the tier that you're in. You will remain in net metering 2.0. If you add solar and you go higher than one kilowatt, which is roughly about three panels in the current sizing that we do today, you need to go into the next metering or net metering tier. So that bumps you into net metering 3.0. In either case, it requires another building permit and another net metering application with pg e So if at all possible, try and do it all at the same time. Gotcha. Wow. I, I'm just I'm, yeah. We can take, go on. Take, taking in all this information, we, but we yeah, can go on. Let people know uh, how they can get a hold of you if they have any questions directly. Call pager, what, what, whatever you have. <laughs> yeah. 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 You never know. I don't know. They're, they're still available. Facts, right? Yeah. The technology guy has a pager. Yeah, that w- <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. The landline. Best, the best thing you can do is if you head to our website at slowcraftinc.com, S L O C R A F T I N C dot com. There's a button on there that says get a proposal. Click that. It takes all your information down, hit that. The second you submit it, it goes into our sales software and we get notified and we'll be contacting you within hopefully a short time frame. Where were you when I called you for this podcast? Uh, I think were it was you, installing a solar. You're on a roof or yeah. something, right? You answered the phone directly and it was a hello. I don't remember if you said slow crap. You're like, hello, I can tell you were working, but you, you answered the phone directly as you, I can hear people in the background talking. So you, you do both. You, you sell and you install. Yeah, uh, all of our people are like that. And, you know, there's a lot of great solar companies in our county. There's there's yeah. ones that are large national companies, and there's also ones that are just local here. They all do a great job. Um, so I, I don't think anybody could go wrong there. The difference with us is, is that we're so small that we focus on one project at a time. And just like you mentioned, you can call or text me, and I'll answer you immediately. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, super fun podcast today, gentlemen. Um, We will see everybody next week. And I thank you again for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. That was awesome. Great info. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to the House Wazy podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It comes out every Monday. So check for it in your feed for the latest information on the San Luis Obispo County market. The Slow County Real Estate with House Wazy podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and on housewazy.com where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. Housewazy.com, that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the House Swayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call, 805-781-3750. Meet Graham, Hal, JT, James, and Keller Williams Central Coast CEO, J. Pete, at a live podcast event at Milestone Tavern in San Luis Obispo. If you love pub grub, drinks, and having your real estate questions answered, be sure to join us at 5 o'clock on Monday, March 13th. To come to the event, just email hal at Team Swayze, that's S-W-E-A-S-E-Y dot com, to grab one of the few spots left available. Hal Swayze is a licensed California real estate broker, DRE number 01111911. The Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze podcast is a production of AGM Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.